In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The church puts before us this morning, as we are but a week away from the beginning of Lent, the church has us before the throne of Christ. But this is where we stand every time we come before God, especially as we come on Sunday mornings whenever the divine liturgy is offered, that we stand before the throne of Christ. But this particular gospel is not just the Sunday or when we draw close to him in prayer, but this is the dread judgment seat of Christ. I want us to travel a little bit this morning to Athens, to the Areopagus, and we're there just a few years ago. We'd heard about this man crucified and supposedly risen from the dead, and it's amongst the Jews, and we're there at the Areopagus, and we're hearing Paul. That's what we hear that his name is, and he's talking about this altar that we have to the unknown God. And he is talking about the one God, the one whom we all actually live in, have our existence in. And Paul ends his sermon saying, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, this time before the advent of his Son. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now we hear around us muttering little whispers here and there. Some even you can hear mocking voices like, that's absurd. Resurrection? What are you talking about? And they just kind of walk off to go back to the market or on with their day's duties. But others are intrigued by this message of Paul. They want to hear more. Paul, throughout his preaching and teaching, there is mention or references throughout to a day which has been ordained where we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In writing to the Corinthians, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So for Paul, this is part of the apostolic proclamation. This is a part of the preaching of the gospel. It is apostolic teaching. It is right there next to who Jesus Christ is. Because in his sermon, he has put this connected to each other. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world to save us. There is, at the end of time, there is a standing. There is that he has been ordained by God the Father to sit in judgment for all that we have done in the body. Now, let's come back to 2023. 
I had to think there for a second. Yes, we're in 2023. I still, you know, at least I don't write as many checks as I used to and have to change it because, you know, it seems like it's a year old. But there's always, especially now, discomfort about preaching about the last judgment or talking about the last judgment. And there's a reason for this. I think there's a pretty good reason for this. It's an abused topic. (laughs) Some grew up in strands of Christian traditions where this was, we have a Sunday out of the year dedicated to this, and it's heavy. If you go and read or heard the Trapari last night, the church does not skimp out on saying, this is serious, this is judgment. But there's some that every single Sunday, it seemed like point two in the sermon or point three in the sermon or at the end, we're going to start talking about the licking flames of hell or something. Some of you grew up like that, or at least were around it, or even those who have the impression because of what they saw on the television or heard on the radio, that there would be this kind of use and abuse talking about this last day where we will stand before Christ. It also sounds, when you hear some of this kind of preaching or teaching, or hear people discourse on the Last Judgment, it almost seems like they take pleasure in it. (laughs) That they are really looking forward to this day when they'll be vindicated, and those other people that they know are not righteous, that they'll get theirs. It's like a shortcut to punishment. Uh, It's a shortcut to self-righteousness. The condemnation of others. But I want us to situate our Lord's teaching here in the context of the Gospel of Matthew. What precedes this particular telling of the end? And what is the focus that our Lord has in teaching about the dread judgment seat that he will sit upon? We have to go back a chapter in Matthew. We need to go to Matthew 24, as this reading is from Matthew 25. And it is a discourse because our Lord, in coming into Jerusalem, in preaching and teaching, as you know from the Gospels, uh, it's not all a walk in the park. There's reactions to Jesus. There are those who do not like him. There are those, as we're told through the Gospels, at certain junctures where he pricks their conscience and they don't like it or he puts them in the actual place where they need to be, that they are already planning to kill him. So the apostles ask, because our Lord starts telling them about the destruction of Jerusalem. And our Lord also talks about in the judgment on Jerusalem and the end of the age, he talks about them kind of together. That there will be general tumult Maybe this line, you remember, the love of many will grow cold. There will be many who call themselves Christ, false Christs. There will be rumors of war. And all of this is our Lord preparing his apostles and us. Because as we go through the next stories that he tells the apostles, we get a clearer vision of what our Lord is trying to bring into focus. There is the parable of the fig tree, which is not the parable of the fig tree that you are probably used to. 
right, where our Lord curses a fig tree. This is where he says that when you see the fig tree and it has tender shoots, that you know what season is. You know what time it is. Basically, you can see the patterns of the earth and the seasons, and you know it's time to do something, guard, you know, prepare the plot, put in the seed, etc., right? So we should be able to read the time and be able to know, and especially be ready. He again repeats this in another story. This time he goes to Noah and the flood and talks about those who did not know at the time, did not realize what was going on, and then we have the flood. And he encourages his disciples and apostles to be vigilant. That vigilance is what is necessary. He then goes to the faithful servant. These are all kind of circling around the same point. Vigilance. Being ready. That there is the next story about the faithful servant. The one who is not idle, but he is going about his master's work in his absence. Then we have the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Which our Lord says the basic theme from that, the, what we are to gather from that, is watch, right? Be vigilant. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Then we have the parable of the talents, which we're used to in a very different context, kind of talking about God has gifted you particular abilities. But the context of the parable of the talents in the Gospel of Matthew is that there is going to be a day of reckoning when the master returns and he's given the talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So these are all the stories that our Lord tells, or parables. Vigilance. Do not be idle. Watch. Be ready for when our Lord comes. Do not squander your time. This is then the preparation for then when he tells of when the Son of Man comes in glory. With all the holy angels around him, seated upon the throne of glory. And this is at the end of time, for this is all nations gathered about him. And he separates to the right and to the left, sheep to the right, goats to the left. What separates the sheep from the goats? Compassion. What does our Lord say when they all are kind of dumbstruck? I, I, this fascinating dumbstruck. It's not just the goats that are dumbstruck. Like, what? I'm going there? It's the sheep who are dumbstruck. What, how, what, what do you mean? When he tells them, when you, you saw me hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, the sheep ministered. The goats did not minister. This strikes home especially, and the fathers have this, right before Great Lent, because we are about to enter into an intense time 
of spiritual struggle, where there is an increase in fasting, there is an increase of prayer, there is an increase of services, there is an increase of prostrations. You get my drift. There's an increase of things, right? A tithe of the year which we dedicate to our Lord and to working out our salvation in fear and trembling. All of these things are important. They are tools for us in the path towards God. But there's always, and the fathers know this, right? This is what the epistle reading is about, about fasting. And we're going to have it again because they know how easy it is for us to turn around and look towards others and judge or be concerned about others and not attend to our own heart or to get lost in services, services, prostrations. Am I doing this right? Am I fasting according to the monastic typicon? All of these things. They're all good things. The church encourages us to do them. But they themselves are not the point. They're the tool. They're the path to the end. Today's parable speaks about not so much of the terror or the horror that may seize us at the end where our heart freezes within us. But it's more like a fire that burns at that moment because it speaks of our confrontation with the real meaning of life, which is love. To stand before the dread judgment seat is to stand before the seat of Christ. Not ourselves, not anyone else, but the crucified Lord. And this crucified Lord, the Lord of love, asks us to ask ourselves, is there any love within me? Have I borne any fruits of love? This is what the focus of the parable is. It does not say that we shall be acknowledged because we said to ourselves or to others that we believe in God. Because we described ourselves as disciples of Christ. As he, our Lord says, on the day he will tell us those who have not lived up to the gospel, been his disciples in all truth, they won't be recognized by our Lord. It doesn't matter what labels we attach to ourselves. But we may well say, have we not gone to church? (laughs) Have we not maybe even worked miracles in your name? Have we not prayed? Have we not fasted? And he will answer, go away, workers of iniquity. This teaching of Christ, this parable, couched amongst all of these other parables, the focus is what? Do we love? Are we the sheep who truly follow the shepherd? And by following him, not just by words or maybe even showing up in action, but that we behave according to that love. And I think the thing that really brings it home is not just kind of a blanket love, but it's what you have done to the least of these. The least of my brethren. That doesn't just mean those here at St. Anne's. Those all that are created in the image of God. So as we know from the rest of the gospel, right? This is not those whom we already love. 
It's not those that we like. It's the least. The ones that we struggle with. The ones we actively avoid. The ones whom we would rather not. The ones who are going to require something of us. And then it is not just sending thoughts and prayers, right? That's very good and nice. It is to, drink, to give drink, a cup of cold water, to clothe the naked, to visit those who are sick, and those who are in the prisons. This is our preparation for Great Lent. This is what the church puts before us to prepare us to get our priorities straight, that we are vigilant, that we are waiting for God, that we are going about his work. This is what it means to be prepared for the dread judgment seat of Christ, which we say at every divine liturgy in one of the litanies. This is given to us to practice in every encounter that we have, but especially the least. Remember what the Apostle James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let us, as we enter into this great fast, this great Lenten struggle, not forget what the point of the Lenten struggle is, what the end of the Lenten struggle is. It is love. It is to grow in love. That is why we fast. That is why we do the prostrations. That is why we have the extra services. It is so that we enkindle within ourselves the love that God has given to us already. Let us not forget. Let us keep before us the crucified Lord who sits upon that dread judgment seat. For he asked us but to imitate him. And in his love, he will bring us and enkindle within us the love that we need to become the sheep that he desires us to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.